Hello and welcome to Dateline New Haven and WNHHFM New Haven's home for community radio. I'm Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make our community tick. Well, there's a gubernatorial election campaign making our community tick. November 8th is Election Day, and there's a Democrat running. There's a Republican running, and there's also a team from the Independent Party, as well as the Green Party running. Today we have the pleasure of the ticket, the head of the ticket of the Independent Party, Rob Hodling. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. The, the gubernatorial candidate and Chip Beckett, who's running for lieutenant governor. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having us. So the independent party, we were talking about this before we came on the air. You're always there on the ballot. And it's some like old fogies like me remembered in the 90s when you'd have your own candidates who ran as like sort of really just on the abortion issue. And then it became a party that was sort of seen as the mirror of the working families party. They were the left wing of the Democratic Party. The conservatives were the right wing. Last two elections you endorsed. The Republican, that became another way for people to vote for the Republican. But this year, you did not choose to endorse the Republican candidates. You put your own candidate, your two people. What is that about, and what does the independent party stand for? Yeah, sure. Uh, Really, it it comes down to this, more choice. Uh, uh, The chairman of the party and the leadership have always wanted to provide ballot access uh, in, in terms of also having some level of independence. Yes, they've typically leaned. Republican for cross endorsement, but there's been a, on a number of occasions also cross endorsing Democrats. Right. Well, I met the. Um, you have a woman running for Secretary of the State. Yes, right? Cynthia Jennings. Cynthia, she's, she was here for an interview. She's on the left. Yeah, that, she that's, could run for the Green Party. That's that's my point. And In then fact, you, she and you guys, and I'm guessing that you are moderate Republicans, like like center moderate Republicans, who left the party because it went wacko. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can let Chip speak to his, but for me, I've been part of both parties. I was part of the Democratic Party, became unaffiliated joined the Republican Party, then became unaffiliated again. And then I met the chairman of the of the uh, Independent Party, and he, he actually asked me to run. So I didn't just sit in my living room one day and say, I'm going to run. No, he said, listen, Rob, we think you best represent the party and how to move it forward and what it represents. And what Not, does the party represent? It, it represents moderation, uh, centrism, taking the best ideas of all sides in order to mm-hmm. move us all forward. We believe we represent the party of the middle class, the working folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, a lot of our positions we think are really moderate and, 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 uh, uh, what the average like Connecticut Sam voter is a woman says people want to be in the middle. Have you right. find the middle there? The Bloomberg wanted to party with the middle. Is that what you guys are chip? Well, I, I think so. And I think and to get close to the mic, one of the things we want to do is make things work. We've talked about some of the same social pathologies. Like the Oz Griebel thing. That was the, is it the same yeah. thing as the Oz Griebel? Along those lines, yeah. But they're endorsing Lamont this year. They are. His yeah. party, so that's kind of interesting. Because Lamont's kind of like what used to be a moderate Republican governor, right? Like, don't tax the rich too much. He's not crazy about the state tax, but he's still she liberal. Protect the environment. You know, make deals with labor. Is that not... A fair way of putting it, it. It's funny how you referred to him as a Republican just now, even though he's our Democratic governor. Right, but he used to be his <laughs> his model is Lowell Weicker, right. and his policies are what used to be Republicanism in Connecticut when it was a more of a center party. Right, right, and Fairfax County based. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chip, talk to me well, about that. You, well, you're from Glastonbury. You've you've been involved in you were involved in Republican parties for party for a long time till 2020, right? Right, my whole life. Um, my problem with Lamont is that. Um, he was a good administrator for COVID, but I can't think of a single legislative accomplishment he's done. He came in talking about tolls and infrastructure, right? And there's nothing. He did. He did sign, although he wasn't champion it, family leave policy, which is one of the considered one of the strongest in the country. If you support that policy, he they did raise the minimum wage. He 
he did do those things, but I wouldn't argue that those were moderate and helped the small business community. Ah, okay. I, I'd also argue those weren't his ideas, really. Right. They were those were brought to him. Right. Whereas I think the difference is, as an innovator myself and as operations guys, Chip and I actually have a ton of ideas. If you look at our uh, economic plan, you look at our education plan. I was, and I would like right. to get that in a couple minutes because I thought those were very interesting plans. Right. Uh, well, before we get there, I'll just tell you who you, tell me who you guys are. So, Rob, you're, you've been... Um, you, you're originally Liberian-American, right? You come from Liberia? Yeah, born? I was born in Liberia, and then my father's of, uh, I guess, Dutch descent, and we came here after a military coup. Uh, so I've, I've told a story about how the fragility of democracy, where it was one of the most stable countries for over 100 years, mm. and all it took were a, a bunch of angry young men, essentially, right, grouped together and said, we're going to overthrow the government. And everything was... It was peaceful before that. And do you and, live? Do you live? Uh, where do you live? What town? I live in Cheshire now. But, wasn't there a big Liberian American community in West Haven for a while? Yeah, there is. There is. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now you were just describing Liberia. What year was that? Doe. That was 1980. Uh, yeah. So it was before Doe. Uh, but yeah, it, it. So essentially, it was a military uh, a coup, and uh, folks took the leadership and brought them to the beach, and executed them on the beach. So that's the thing. Like. It's scary. And I've told this story. And some people say, oh, that would never happen in America. But I'm not trying to draw a direct parallel to January 6th. But my main point is this. We shouldn't think that these things are such foreign concepts, right? People get angry enough. They get violent enough. enough and partisanship is leading to that. And well, I think, did, were yeah. you a Republican until this issue arose? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to. It used to be a party of principle, and I agreed a lot with the fiscal policies. I can't say I agreed with all the the, the social uh, issues, but yeah, Trump like and, or... and, and when they when you literally have elected officials who support undemocratic positions in undermining democracy, how can you? If you believe in principle, how can you legitimately sit there and say, you know, I'm this is so the when party represents leave? me. So I left, uh, I want to say, last uh, September 2021. I want to say something like that, well, July. Was, well, that, so you were in it after January 6th. You remained in the party. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what made you finally leave? Just, you know, <laughs> the fallout of that and talking to people and how people doubled down on, on, on you know, distancing themselves and not taking January 6th seriously. And I really asked myself, is this what I re represents me? And I, it, it doesn't. And I'm so glad that Chip and I connected because on this one topic, we right, do Chip believe. Chip was talking about that. Chip, you're a veterinarian. I am. Which I think is, is very interesting. Some other time when you're here, I really would love to talk about that when there's time. And your family's had a produce farm at Glastonbury. How many generations? Uh, two. My dad bought it in 73. What, what do you grow there? Uh, apples, tomatoes, beans, uh, a whole selection of things. We go to the farmer's market. Do you do macoon apples? Yep, we have a few. And what is the macoon variety? It's only a month of year. It's my favorite apple of the whole year. It's so it's like candy almost, but it's good for you. Yeah, it's a cross between a Macintosh and Arkansas Black. It's Arkansas a Black. It has, why is it O-U-N? I don't know. Okay, so let's get back to it. When did you <laughs> – you also told me – that you were a Republican your whole life, even served in local offices in Glastonbury? Yeah, I was the minority leader in Glastonbury. Um, I'd been chairman for six years. When Trump got elected, we lost the majority, so I lost the chairmanship, became minority leader. Um, and when Ken Paxton sued Pennsylvania over its uh, absentee ballot rules because of COVID, um, I thought that was bad. But when 147 congressmen voted to support him, I realized the majority of congressmen on the Republican side didn't believe in elections, um, and I think it's easy to follow the coup example shortly thereafter if people want to bring it to its logical extreme. And I said, I'm not going to associate myself with those people. So I left. There was a lot of publicity about it um, because I left, and I maintained the minority position. 
position, minority leader position, until uh, we finished our budget. And then I left the party. Rob Holing, Chip Beckett, the governor, lieutenant governor, ticket of the independent party. Let's get to some of your plans. Oh, one issue. Rainy day spending, the rainy day fund, is a big issue dividing the Democrat-Republican candidate for governor. Delamont says we have to max out the $3 billion with our $6 billion surplus, our rainy day fund, because that's conservative fiscal policy. A recession's coming, and we need that money so we can weather it without pain and policy and cuts to social services. Uh, the Republican candidate says it's raining now. That money should be used for tax relief that we don't have to max out because that's the point for it being there. Do you folks have an opinion on the rainy day fund? Yeah, and I mentioned this, uh, and Governor Lamont tried to misappropriately attribute me to spending the rainy day fund three times over, and I've said that absolutely not. But coming from the financial world, you normally have cash reserves. We were there with too big to fail, so we've learned some things, right? So, for example, the rainy day fund is 15% of the general fund, right? So, naturally, I'm a believer in having some cash reserves, so somewhere in the middle between both of these, which is like I've mentioned, we've talked about spending somewhere between five, 10, 15% of that surplus on towards closing the achievement gap, making strategic investments, but also if there's a way to help uh, those that are most in danger of a financial impact, a negative financial Such impact. As. Yeah. So, like, I mean, there's elderly who can't pay their bills for, for heating and oil, right? There's inflation uh, impacting them. Uh, and this so you're not seeing it for tax cuts. You're seeing it for aid for people who are struggling. There's directly. a combination. I, I think that we should pay down our debts. Absolutely. Right. We have to get our fiscal house in order, but I do believe that there has to be some balance. We can't spend it all now, I would agree, because there's a recession. Well, he didn't say all. He's saying a chunk Le- of it. Stefanowski's not saying all? He's not saying the whole rainy day oh, fund. That's, well, that's a change of position, because yeah. when I was on the debate he's stage, it sure three, sounded like— He's not like, saying $3 billion, but he is uh, saying— Okay. I think he's saying of the $6 billion surplus, I think he said two. Yeah, okay. I think it's important. And are you saying that much, too, or no? Well, 15% of that surplus would be some less number. But, yeah, something closer to 250 to 500 But, again, million. he wanted to give income tax cuts. When I look at your plan, I see targeted cuts in business taxes right. for help to small business. But also you're saying you want to do direct spending on achievement gap issues in, in school funding and senior heating, right? So it's a little more of a direct aid thing rather than right. do tax cuts. And, and um, Rob, tell us just quickly your business background. Uh, my business, I've, I've been a founder of a couple companies, startups, but I've also worked at large corporations. Currently, I'm the senior vice president at Webster Bank. Uh, I've also worked at IBM, but I've also worked at uh, manufacturing companies across the state. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and Chip, you wanted to weigh in there. on the. On the oh, I was day. just going to say, I think there's two things. One is the rainy day fund with $3 billion. The other is the surplus of $6 billion that went to pensions. Rob and I have talked about spending some of the $6 billion on aid and targeted tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So one thing you've talked in Target has discussed is reducing the cost of living and doing business. You said eliminate property, business property taxes, $600 million a year, motor vehicle taxes. You offset that with expanded educational uh, cost sharing. But where does the money for the educational cost sharing come from? That's where you talk about the 15% of the surplus? Yeah. So what about ongoing when the recession hits and we no longer have a surplus? So, so with economic theory and modeling, if you really step back and think about it, the reason we create a virtuous cycle, and what I mean by that is – if you improve the cost of living and cost of doing business by eliminating business personal property taxes and motor vehicle taxes, what will happen is that you'll retain more taxpayers and taxpaying companies, right? You'll attract more. That creates more taxpayers. So the name for that is supply-side economics, correctly. Yes, supply-side saying economics. that if you cut – sometimes it's when you, if you cut taxes, people will make more money and they'll produce more tax revenue over time. Right. It's the Laffer curve. Yes. That's except, not, it's, except, not, it's not a very – 
respected in economic circles curve anymore, is it? Well, I would argue that we've tried the Laffer curve with large corporations that pocket the money and give the money to shareholders. Mm -hmm. We've never tried it with small and medium-sized businesses that were closely held. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the goal is for people to be like me, the next generation, that says, I have a better idea, I'm going to do something different and start out. And, you know, my mother gave me $1,000 to buy the first truck because they wouldn't finance 100% back in the 80s. So, um, you know, that's what I started with. So you're saying saying it's not old school supply economics where you have help boost corporate profits because a lot of that then just goes through greater dividends and it's not reinvested in new capital. You're saying that when it's a small guy like you by cutting – business property taxes and motor vehicle taxes that yeah, and you and mentioned I, a motor vehicle and i'm especially sensitive to urban areas so hartford new haven waterbury you know when i was a kid there was all kinds of businesses there they've mostly moved out or closed how do we get businesses back in there so people have jobs there's people that um, have raised income are role models and mentors for the people who live in the community and there's opportunity for people in the community to now you mentioned speak. social issues where do you folks stand on abortion so unequivocally, we stand with a woman's right to choose. Right? Mm-hmm. That's been crystal clear from us from the beginning. And you support the idea of having this be a harbor where we're not going to let people be extradited? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would assign the same bill that uh, Governor Lamont did to strengthen our position for medical practitioners and people coming across state lines. I mean, you know. But it, you said, how about it raising the minimum a wage and the family leave? You said that was a little more concerning for small business? Yeah, well, so so there's there's two sides of it, right? Uh, and, and Chip and I have had this conversation many times, right? So every person who's ever had a job needs an employer. So we need to make sure we have employers. But then you also have to do the right thing for the people. So really, uh, uh, the minimum wage should be tracked to what the the cost of living is, right? So if if we have it one, will be once it gets to fifteen, once it gets to fifteen. But think about this: we're one of the we're bottom five or worse five in the nation for cost of living, cost of doing business, but then our minimum wage isn't tracked to that, right? So your minimum wage really should be a livable wage based on what it costs to actually live in that state. So it would be higher than the 15 an hour? Possibly. How do you feel about that, Chip? I think we need to separate a training wage from a 15 or 16-year-old kid. So, okay. Compared to somebody that's 30 and trying to support a family. I've always thought the wage should be lower, but you should have to give automatic raises. Because then if somebody isn't able to be um, a fully productive employee, then they have to go find something else. They need and what about the family leave policy? Do you support that? My employees complain about the taxes they take out of it that they don't think they're going to get benefits. It doesn't really affect <laughs> me at all. <laughs> but yeah. I will say that there is one key area in it that, that's a little hurtful, which for, to a small business, we have to take a look at it, which is if you have a key worker. In your small business, say you have 10 people and you have one key worker, that key worker goes away. You keep their job. But is there a way to get a temporary person come in without negatively impacting that person with a family medical leave? So um, there's a lot of good to it, obviously. But, uh, you know, like a lot of uh, of our uh, statutes and policies, there's always one or two things that you can amend to make it even better. I was really interested about you had a lot of specifics in your education plan. You said increase the standardized regional delivery of educational services you, through something you'd create called regional education councils. What are those and how would they work? Well, we already have some actually, right? So CREC is a CREC. So they they essentially uh, standardize and deliver from a regional perspective across Hartford County, right? And they do uh, training curriculum for teachers. Uh, They also run magnet schools, so things of that nature. So regional services have demonstrated, especially in the Midwest and other parts of the country, an effectiveness that we don't really have here. There's no county system. Uh, So you can get – and it also allows you to have 
character still of that town. We're not trying to take the, the you know the decisioning out of the board of ed or or the parents' hands in those towns. But what we're saying is, hey, look, there's some redundancies here, and regional delivery services can eliminate those, get some costs back, and then Vermont reinvest. Talked about that, and it didn't really happen. People really don't like it. They really don't like anything that smacks the region. No, but I don't well, mean people. Well, local no, officials. I, I think the difference is you need to do back office things. Nobody wants to have their kindergarten teacher change because the regional school sent you somewhere else. But I think when you talk about payroll or business services or insurance services or curriculum and training, no parent knows really who's doing the training. And if you're going to hire an expert, then you could hire regional people maybe have an expert to go around to 20 or 30 towns. So I think that's the difference, which is the thing we've seen in so many businesses that have grown. Is that and they, on, and I'm, I know you guys got to run. On affordable housing, you've kind of, is it enough, another, is it a middle position, me, Stefanowski and Lamont? So Lamont yeah. supports the bill we have that punishes towns that don't have 10% of their housing stock affordable, that you have to let, you have to give a reason not to give, allow a developer to build working class or working middle class housing. Right. Um, Stefanowski said it hasn't worked because by this time only 18% right of the communities meet the limits. So let's try something else. The, the other side says we wouldn't even have what we have without this law because towns are so dead set, like New Canaan, for letting their firefighters be able to live there, let alone public housing. Your your policy says you got to get rid of the stick but have a juicier carrot. How would that work? Yeah, so a couple quick things, and Chip can jump in here. So, yeah, clearly, um, I'll say this too. If you don't have a mandate or some level of mandate, how do you actually support it, right? And then on the flip side, if you have all mandate, uh, right, with no funding, then how do you actually incentivize? So we're looking at how do you make a town want to do this, right? So there's a couple different things. So we're actually proposing a $250 million transformational housing fund that can apply some actual financial uh, uh, applicability over to and some of that was was tax breaks right yeah tax breaks maybe there's abatements uh you know whatever credits so, so there's some combination thereof right but the fundamental point is this um it's not currently working right because oh, i think less than 50 percent of towns have even submitted a plan i think less than 25 percent actually have 10 percent so whatever people yeah. whatever both sides want to say it's not working right now, and you need to have a more detailed plan. I think well, tax credits do exist. I know you get the five-year yeah. phase in if you upgrade yes. But you also talked about rehabbing smaller, doing scattered site housing. Rehab. That's kind of interesting to me. That's worked in New Haven, the kind of scattered site. Well, and I think that's one of the points is all of our cities were bigger 50, 70 years ago. Yeah. And the infrastructure's there, the cultural amenities are there, the um, sewer, water, all that. Why aren't we talking about fixing up and doing urban homesteading to fix up some of the blighted houses, um, mm -hmm. the ignored houses, the commercial buildings that have fallen down? Why aren't they? So that it's actually desirable. And I think New Haven has pioneered it more than any other city about people actually want to live in the city, which I think for millennials, empty nesters, elderly people that want to downsize from the yeah, suburban really house. Is, it really is the best place to get. And even a family, right. I raise a family here. It's a nice place. Right, right, exactly. And, and I think also, too, we've talked about NOAA naturally occurring affordable housing. So if people have a rental property that's not currently being subsidized by the federal government, we should look at that. It doesn't count towards the 10%. Uh, and then there's middle housing, which also doesn't count towards the 10% with duplexes okay, right. and things of that nature. How about so, if they bottom line just don't want to do it because they're racist? They had their suburbs because they didn't want anyone black coming. See, but now this is where you need to prioritize and work with a zoning. Now, if there is some level of structural racism, then you need to really address that with the town and say, okay, well, why? Right? Uh, look, I moved to Cheshire, right? 
I, mm-hmm. I, I'm multiracial myself. I'm sure some people are like, they didn't know I'm, I could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. It turns out I'm a senior vice president running for governor. But the question is, you know, having that ability, having that opportunity, I think everyone in this country. So what do you take from that? You were able to move to Cheshire. What do you mean? What do I take from that? Does that mean that the zoning isn't a problem for racism or just economic? Well, I didn't have an economic problem. I think some people, the fundamental point is this. If you have teachers, we have a teacher, police, and medical workers labor shortage outside of other labor shortages. People who work in these towns should deserve to live and afford to live in these towns. We need to do something better. It's not working. And if there's some, as, as you mentioned, Paul, some built-in racism, then we need to address that. But we need to get to the roots of that. And what is it really about? It's about, you. some people may say, they don't want to change the character of their town. Is right. it a physical architectural character? Or is it a cultural mixed character? What are we really talking about here? Right. And, then, and Paul, it, I think one of the things, Talk about racism in the state, but I think it's a lot more classism. You know, people don't want right. poorer people living there. White, black, Asian, mm. it doesn't matter. Right. They just don't want somebody that's poorer than them. And I think that does occur. So finally, I think you're, you've got a huge publicity boost for your campaign, which is that Bob Stefanowski, the Republican, has given you a lot of attention. <laughs> I think a lot of people have heard of you only because flyers like this one came in my box. I'd heard of you, but I said, whoa, whose flyer is this? I'm seeing Rob Hodling. Compared to Bob Stefanowski, he's running against Lamont for the big prize. Right. Why is he focusing so much on you and calling you a Democrat because you used to be a political staffer and you dangerously liberal to fund the police agenda? What's that all about? Well, first of all, uh, that's a lie right there. I've never mentioned defunding the police. In fact, I would always support funding the police. Right. So so fake news, as the Republicans would say. But in terms of and you, it's funny, too, how he doesn't mention I was a Republican even after the January 6th. Right. Mm-hmm. So he failed to mention that. But I think the, the main point is this. Why? Because we're a threat. We have better ideas. And it's not always about the bank account. Right. Mm-hmm. So when people really look and they say, wait, and, you, and I think there was a CT examiner poll recently that showed in all the polls where we weren't part of it, uh, Lamont was up 11, 15, 17. The moment we get in the poll, Lamont's up six. Wait, what happened? We're now in single digits. Happen? That's why he thinks we're a threat. And that's why he feels the need to put things out like this. Well, I am so pleased I got to meet you guys. You're really, really fun to talk to. If you win, you're coming back, right? We'll come back either way. <laughs> either, way either way, you're always back. welcome. But next time you're going to bring some Macoon apples. If it's the right, is it Macoon or McCowan? McCowan. McCowan. If it's the right month, right? It's September, late September through early November? Yeah, they're done now. Oh, they're done now? Yeah. yeah but those are September great September and October. Thank you for growing them. All right. <laughs> and thanks for running and giving Thank choices. You. The Independent Party is running Rob Hodling and Chip Beckett. Gives you one, one another choice for... Governor and Lieutenant Governor, November 8th. Thanks to Harry Jones for working the board. We're going to take a little break and come back with the Republican candidate for state treasurer, Harry Aurora. But uh, sit tight for now with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night long at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio.